much longer will we need to wait? How much longer will we need to wait? You see, 10 days ago, just before Jesus was brought up into heaven, he gathered the 120 of us together and he told us to wait. To wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we came to Jerusalem and we've been gathered here waiting ever since. That was 10 days ago. 10 days of waiting. Oh, I still remember. I still remember shortly after his resurrection, shortly after Jesus raised from the dead, he, well, I, I had taken the disciples to the Sea of Galilee because I like to fish. And so I said, let's go fishing. So we all went fishing. We were out in the boat all night, caught nothing. And then in the morning, we hear a voice, someone on the shore saying, put the net down on the other side. And we just said, okay, fine, we'll do it on the other side. Put the net down, and sure enough, it gets filled with fish, tons of fish. And then I could hear someone laughing on the shore, laughing for joy. And when I heard that laugh, I recognized it. I knew instantly who it was. It was Jesus on the shore. Oh, wow. I, as the others were pulling in the fish and trying to row the boat back to shore, I just jumped right in the sea and swam ahead of them. Oh, I got to the shore ahead of everybody, and I gave Jesus the biggest hug you could imagine. Oh, that was wonderful. He had breakfast ready for us on the shore. And the others asked, well, why, why did you jump out of the boat like that? We were, we were on our way back. And I said, oh, well, it was just because I was so excited to see Jesus. I was so excited to see him. Well, as I'm thinking back on that, I wonder if maybe, just maybe, I was trying to make a point. Maybe I was trying to prove to, to Jesus and to the other disciples how much I loved him. Maybe that's why I did that. Maybe I was trying to prove to myself how much I loved Jesus. Well, after we ate breakfast, he took me aside. And he asked me a very strange question. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, that was, a, that was an odd question to ask. I said, well, of course, of course I love you. And then he asked me the same question again. Peter, do you love me more than these? And so I, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I love you, Jesus. But then he asked me the third time, Peter, do you truly love me? Oh. He had to ask the third time. I was cut to the heart when he asked that time because, of course, of course, I remembered 
that night. That night that none of us will ever forget. That night that I was so sure of myself, even if they all disown you, I'll never disown you. That night, oh, that was such a rough night. And after that night, ever since then, I, I couldn't forget that night. I couldn't forget what I did, what I said. How I disowned Jesus for three times. Three times. Oh, I couldn't forget that. And ever since then, I've been asking myself, do I truly love him? How could someone who loves Jesus disown him? How could he? How could I do that? And so I've, I've been asking myself, asking myself. And then when he asked me that question the third time, well, I just lost it. I lost it. And I started to weep. And I said, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus. And you know what? He said something even stranger after that. He said, feed my sheep. What did I have to give? I was a broken man. I was broken inside. I was hurting. I disowned my best friend, and he asked me to feed his sheep. Well, in looking back, I guess he was thinking that who better to feed his sheep than somebody who had been broken? He wanted somebody who had been broken to feed his sheep. Who better suited for that task? And looking back, that's, that's what makes sense. Well, his final words to me in that conversation, two words, follow me. Follow me. And with those two words, I knew what path I was on. I knew what plan I was to follow. There was no turning back. No going back to the fish. No way. No turning back. And I was to follow him. Following him day after day. Following him even to death. I was determined after that moment. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And you want me to feed your sheep? I'll feed your sheep. But oh, how I need the gift of the Holy Spirit. How I need what the Father has promised. How I need what you've promised to give us. Oh, please send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit to us. What is that sound? The title of my sermon today is, What is it with God and waiting? <laughs> what is it with God and waiting? He wants us to wait for stuff. He could have just given the Holy Spirit to the disciples right before he ascended. He's saying, I'm going to go to heaven, and here's the Holy Spirit. But instead, he said, I'm going away to heaven, and in not many days... 
you will receive the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem for it. Why wait? Why wait? Well, God has a purpose. He has a plan in asking us to wait. And that's what he did. While the disciples, the 120 were gathered waiting in Jerusalem, God was able to do a work in their heart. He was able to stir things up. He was able to, to deal with some stuff that needed to be dealt with. He was able to purify them and make them holy and prepare them for what lay ahead. And then came the Holy Spirit. And there was such a sound. It was a violent wind that filled the place where they were praying. And then the Holy Spirit descended. And the 120 disciples started to speak in languages that they didn't know, tongues. Well, there was a crowd in Jerusalem and thousands gathered to where they heard this violent sound. It was so loud to find out what was going on. And when they got there, they saw the 120 disciples speaking in other languages. Now, this crowd was from all over the regions. They had come from many other countries that spoke many other languages. And the people that were there heard them praising God in their own languages. And they said, wow, these people are from Galilee. They were perplexed. They were amazed. They said to each other, what does this mean? That's when Peter stood up and declared to them what was happening. And Peter talked to them about a prophecy from the book of Joel. 500 years earlier, Joel had written a prophecy about that day. And I'll read to you a little bit of, from Peter's sermon about that from the book of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. God had a plan, and his plan was for 500 years they were going to wait, and that's what Israel was doing up until that moment. They were waiting for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just going to be on a select few. Not like the, the old days when God would send his spirit and come upon a prophet, and that one prophet would, would do what he does. No, this time it would be upon all who called upon the name of the Lord. This time it wouldn't just be on men, it would be on women as well. It wouldn't just be on the young, it would be on the old as well. It wouldn't just be on, on those who were wealthy, it would be on the servants as well. It would be on all who called upon the name of the Lord. And God poured his spirit out. Well, in Peter's sermon, he didn't just start by, stop at talking about the Holy Spirit. Instead, in his sermon, he brought them around to talking about Jesus who they all would have been very familiar with because he had just been crucified and resurrected recently. And so Peter says, and Jesus, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, 
and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so we have the Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapters 1 and 2. And now, even 2,000 years later, we're still receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and still waiting for the Holy Spirit. Now, we often are waiting for things with God. For example, we're all waiting for Jesus to come back. You'll read in Acts chapter 1 that, and when, so this is right after Jesus finished speaking, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you see him go into heaven. And we've been waiting for Jesus' return ever since. Well, for some reason, God has chosen to use waiting as a means to achieve his purposes. And when I look back in the Old Testament, I can see many examples of people who are waiting for something. Uh, for example, in Peter's sermon, he went on to talk about King David and how Dave, God gave David a word that there would be a descendant of his who would sit on his throne and who would be the Messiah. And that was a thousand years before that happened. Well, we find in the days of Abraham, God gave Abraham some promises and some words. When Abraham was 75 years old, God said that he was going to make a mighty nation out of him and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Well, that's quite a promise. Abraham didn't have any children, 75 years old. How's that going to happen? 25 years later, Abraham was 100 years old and Isaac was born. And it was Isaac. It wasn't a nation. It was just Isaac. But when Abraham passed away, he was still holding on by faith to that promise that God had given him. And so for those 25 years, he believed God. He trusted God. He had faith that God would be true to his word. Well, that was Abraham. I think a couple of generations later, there was a 17-year-old young man named Joseph. God gave Joseph some dreams. They were wonderful dreams of what God was going to do through him. And in the dreams, it's strange, it seemed like all of his brothers were bowing down to him. Wow, that's quite a dream. He was young, you know, all his older brothers, and they were all going to bow down to him. Well, of course, being 17, he decided to share the dream with his brothers. <laughs> Those brothers didn't quite see it that way. They didn't really want to receive that word as, well, they certainly weren't as excited about the dreams as Joseph was. No, no, they didn't like that at all. They didn't want to receive that word. And so they ended up selling him into Egyptian slavery. And then in a very short time, he, 
Joseph ended up in an Egyptian prison, having been wrongfully convicted of a crime he hadn't done. And for 13 years, Joseph waited. He waited 13 years in an Egyptian prison. He had the dreams. They were given to him by God. He was sure of it. But for 13 years, he was sitting in an Egyptian prison, far from his brothers, and far from any position of leadership. But God is faithful. And he remembered Joseph. And during those 13 years, God was doing a work in Joseph's heart. He was humbling him. And finally, when Joseph was around 30 years old, God raised him up to become prime minister of Egypt. And sure enough, those brothers had come looking for some food to buy, and they ended up bowing down to Joseph, just as God had promised. Now, if it were you or I, we might have been a little bitter towards those brothers. We might have been a little angry, even wanting to get a little taste of revenge on them. But not Joseph, no. In fact, he saw it was God's hand in allowing him to endure that period of waiting. He recognized God's work in his life. And so he wasn't bitter towards them. No, no, he loved them. He was so glad to see them. That's what the work of the Spirit is when God has us in that place of waiting. That certainly wasn't Joseph's plan. His plan was, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be leader. When's that happening? Well, God had a different way of coming out with that plan. Sometimes we come up with plans that are completely against God's plan. You might remember three months ago I preached about Hosea. Hosea was the prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel as they were being carried into captivity. Well, a few years later, the southern kingdom of Judah also was carried into Babylonian captivity. And God had raised up prophets at that time as well. But there were also false prophets. There were people who would say what the Israelites and people of Jerusalem wanted to hear. And so God was pulling, raised up a king in Babylon to bring them into exile from Jerusalem. But the false prophets were saying, don't worry about it. This is okay because we're not going to end up in exile. And even if we are there for a short time, we'll be right back again in Jerusalem. And, and the reasoning made sense, actually, if you think about it, because God had promised that there would be a king on David's throne. Well, where was David's throne? It was in Jerusalem. So God certainly wouldn't destroy Jerusalem. And the temple that Solomon built was in Jerusalem. And inside the temple was the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence inside the temple, inside Jerusalem. So there's no way that God was going to allow this Babylonian king to carry everything out of Jerusalem into captivity. No way at all, because they had the Ark, they had the temple, and they had David's throne. Well, that was, that was their plan, but that wasn't God's plan. And because of their wickedness and rebellion and disobedience, 
just like the northern kingdom, so also the southern kingdom of Judah also needed to be carried away into captivity. Well, Jeremiah was the prophet that God had raised up. And Jeremiah wrote a letter to the captives. He was in Jerusalem, and he wrote a letter to the captives in Babylon. So they were in captivity. Now, this, this place in Babylon that the Babylonians set up for them, it was a city in a swamp. Of course, they weren't going to give them prime real estate. These are the captives. So they, so they were set up in a city in a swamp, mosquito-infested swamp. They hated it there. And they could, oh, they just loved to get any word from back home. Well, one day they get a letter from, from back home. Oh, who's the letter from? Oh, it's a letter from Jeremiah. Now, when you get a letter from Jeremiah, that's not necessarily good news. Because he was the guy that they called the weeping prophet. You don't want a letter from the weeping prophet. It's like, okay, all right, what is he going to say? Well, in Jeremiah 29, he was the letter. You say, well, Jeremiah 29, I know that. I know Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You say, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, that's just great. I, I receive that word. If you read a few verses before that, in the same letter, in Jeremiah 29, just a couple of verses before, Jeremiah tells them, I want you to build houses for yourself. I want you to settle down. Allow your daughters to marry. Allow your sons to marry. Pray for the peace of the city that you're in. Get comfortable where you are. Well, that's, that's a strange plan. That doesn't make any sense. They're in captivity. They're away from Jerusalem. Why would God want them to be getting comfortable here? And then the letter went on to say, you're going to be there for 70 years. 70 years. Think about it. The entire generation that was reading that letter would never make it back home to Jerusalem. 70 years. Whoa. That, that didn't go over well. But God had a plan. And then he goes on to say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then he goes on to say, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That was what God was doing. That those 70 years were to fulfill a purpose. They were to fulfill God's plan for them. It wasn't just some arbitrary anomaly. It was actually with a purpose in mind. Well, if you read the very end of Second Chronicles, you'll see that, in fact, God was true to his word. God did raise up Cyrus, king of Persia. And Cyrus decided to restore those who were taken into captivity back to Jerusalem and to build a temple there for them as well, a temple to God. God was true to his word. 
that the, after the period of 70 years, he remembered them and brought them back home. Now you'll say, well, 70 years seems a little harsh. I mean, he had them wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Why 70? And there was an interesting little item if you read Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25 talks about the need to give the land one year of rest out of every seven. It was a Sabbath of the land. And from the time that the Israelites were established under, the, under King Saul until the time that they were being brought into exile was a period of 490 years. And at no point during those 490 years did they give the land the Sabbath rest. They didn't do it at all. The first six years come along and they were sowing and reaping. Seventh year, well, we'll just carry on, sowing and reaping. And then on and on and on. And so there was a series of Sabbath years that were missed. A series of them. And <clears throat> that went on for 490 years. So God took out his calculator and he did a little math. And it's, oh, 490 divided by seven. Oh, okay, 70 years. That's how he got to that number of 70. It was the number of years of Sabbath, years for the land that they needed, the land needed. Now, it's interesting. I, I, I learned so much last Sunday from Pastor Mitch. He knows so much about gardening. And I, I was so impressed. And he talked about pruning, and, and he talked about how you need to restore the nutrients in the soil. You can't just leave the same plant in the same pot and, and leave it. But it eventually depletes the nutrients. It seems that God knew that the land needed its rest one year out of seven. No sowing and reaping during that Sabbath year. Allow the land to rest. Well, finally, the land did get its rest, and it was laid waste for, for those 70 years while the exiles were in Babylon. And, and then they finally were brought back, and then they had to subdue the land again. But there's a reason for what God tells us. Just like he created the land and the soil, he created our bodies, our minds, our spirits. And when he did that, he recognized that there is a need, one day out of seven, that we need to have that Sabbath, have that time of rest, just one day out of seven. And it's just how we're wired. The other six days, yes, work as hard as we can. Everything that our hand finds to do, do it with all our might. But there is that one day out of seven that God would like us to do something different, something else and give our mind, give our spirit, give our body that rest. Well, God does all kinds of amazing things in us and through us, day by day. And sometimes he brings us through a period of rest, a period of waiting. So I think back 30 years ago, I was a pastor in Toronto. And I'd been pastoring for about six years, and 
things were going great. I was an ordained minister with the Pentecostal Sims of Canada. I was married to a wonderful wife, Kathy, and I was serving in Willowdale Pentecostal Church as assistant pastor slash youth pastor. Things were going great. The senior pastor of the church, the head pastor, Bob Stevens, and I got along so well. Great man of God. Well, early the following year, Pastor Bob announced he's resigning. And, well, that kind of shook me up a little bit, but the board came and said, Ron, we want you to be the uh, interim pastor until we find a replacement. Okay, so throughout the spring, summer, I was interim pastor. In the fall, we gave birth to our firstborn baby girl. Oh, a lovely daughter. You know, so grateful to God for her. And a new senior pastor came along. And so I resumed my role as assistant pastor, youth pastor, fall of 94. And then into the spring of 95, that pastor sits me down one day and says, Ron, it's not working out. I need to replace you. I said, what do you mean you're replacing me? He says, yeah, you're not youthy enough. We need someone else. I was 32, but not youthy enough. Okay. So, all right, I'm on my way. And so I said my goodbyes, and I was out. Well, my wife returned back to work after six months of maternity leave, and I was the primary caregiver for our baby girl. I knocked on doors. I met with people. It's interesting. You go to conference in May, district conference, and you talk to all your former classmates and colleagues, and they always ask you the same question. So, where are you? And you say, well, that's a silly question. I'm standing right here. What do you mean, where am I? What they were asking was, what church are you ministering at? And so I said, well, I'm between churches. That's, that's a way of saying I'm out of work. I'm between churches. Little did I know that God had closed the door of pastoring to me. I didn't know it. And so month after month went by, and I was waiting for the doors to open. And I went and pursued different opportunities. None of them opened up, except for volunteer. Oh, they all wanted volunteers, but, but that didn't work out anymore, okay? I couldn't do that. I had to have a paid position because someone had to take care of our daughter. And so, month after month of waiting and waiting, God was starting to do a work in my heart. He was starting to deal with some things that needed to be dealt with. There was the fact that I had forgotten my first love. Yeah, I was a pastor and I forgot my first love. That doesn't make any sense. I was really busy. Yeah, I forgot my first love. And it happens it's too many times where we allow the busyness of life to cloud our view and we forget what it's all about. And I prayed, and I asked questions. You know, it's good to ask God questions because sometimes God is in the question. I ask questions. God, do you want me to be a pastor? No, he didn't. Well, that blew me away. I've been pastoring for seven years. He didn't want me to be a pastor? Whoever calls someone out of the ministry, you always get called into the ministry, not out. Well, I, I said, well, what, what shall I do then? And I just sensed God's leading in a completely different direction than pastoring. And I ended up moving to Ottawa and enrolling in Carleton U and getting a computer science degree. And then a few years later, God was in it because 
I'm not that smart, and I graduated with highest honors. That's not an easy task. I give God the glory for that. So he, he blessed this effort to do something completely different from my plans, but he knew the plans he had for me, and he worked them out in my life. Oh, they were, they were rough, rough times to go through that, that, that complete reversal. It was rough. And I wasn't sure if I should be moving to Ottawa or not. But I still remember one night, Kathy, my wife, comes to me and she says, God gave her a word. And now God doesn't usually, doesn't usually give her a word. And so I'm like, wow, I'm all ears. What is this word? And she took me to, the, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And Hebrews chapter 11, 8 says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Could you imagine that? Abraham is telling his parents, hey, mom, dad, I'm leaving. Oh, okay. Yeah, God has an inheritance for me. I'm, I'm going to go receive it. Oh, that's wonderful, Abraham. Where is it? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he didn't tell me that part yet. I don't know. Oh, so you don't know where you're going? No, no. Oh, so when you're going, how do you know when you got there? Uh, he didn't tell me that either. I, I, don't, I don't know. But he knew by faith that God was leading him. And so I didn't know what Leah had. In fact, I, I had many voices telling me I shouldn't even try doing what I was going to do. But God knew. And by faith, I made the move. My time of waiting was over for that. But God used that time of waiting to remind me of my first love. And it wasn't until several years later that he told me why he removed me from pastoring. And it was because I had forgotten my first love, because I had allowed the busyness of life to distract me. And if I would be permitted to have continued in that role, it would have destroyed my relationship with God. And so I thanked God for removing me. I thanked him so much. I said, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving me so much that you would remove me and put me into that time of waiting. Thank you. What are we waiting for? We're always waiting for something. There's something that, that God has for us. Maybe we're waiting for a breakthrough. Maybe we're waiting for healing. Maybe we're waiting on God for, for a spouse, a husband or a wife. Who shall I marry? When shall I marry? Should I marry at all? Maybe we're waiting for children. Maybe we're praying for relationships. Maybe there's a wayward relationship. What are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for? Why are we waiting? It's because God knows the plans he has for us. And until he opens that door, he wants us to continue to wait. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. And I want you to trust me. And I know that you're going to trust me because last time I spoke, you told me that you loved me. And, and I haven't forgotten that. And so, because you love me, you're gonna trust me. And so, what I want you to do is, if you are waiting on God for something, if there's something that you're waiting for, 
whether it's a breakthrough in the finances, direction in the career, whatever it is you're waiting for, relationships, I would like you to stand where you are, just to declare to God that, yes, God, I am waiting. Stand right now, please. (coughs) And maybe, maybe this time of waiting has brought you into something that's completely different from the plans that you had for yourself. But that's okay. That's okay. Peter's life was turned right upside down, but Jesus was able to restore him. And when Jesus restored Peter, it was, he wanted Peter to tell him that he loved him. But he knew that he loved him. He wanted Peter to hear Peter saying, I love you, Jesus. And that's what brought about this restoration. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Sometimes, sometimes we doubt that. We say, oh, no, how can I love you after, after all that I've done, after everything that has happened? How could I, I, I want us to open our hearts to God and, and have a word of prayer declaring our love to Jesus. So I'd like you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and repeat after me. My loving Heavenly Father, you have brought me to this place of waiting on you. I am standing here today to declare that I love you with all my heart. And I trust you with what I am waiting for. Amen. All right. I want you to look this way. Declaring to Jesus that you love him is the most important thing you could do right now. Reminding yourself that you really do love Jesus. You do really trust him. Remind yourself daily. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. And even if you have me waiting for 25 years, 13 years, 70 years, 10 days, whatever it is, I trust you. I trust you, Jesus, with whatever it is. Now we're going to bring the service to a close. And I'd like the prayer team to come forward, please, and and prepare. Because if you would like someone to pray with you, that's what the prayer team is for. They're, They're here to pray with you, to help pray through whatever it is that you're waiting for. You don't have to come forward. That's okay. You can pray throughout the week and continue on with that. But if you would like someone to pray for you, then that's what we have at the front here is the prayer team. And they will pray with you, pray for you, that God will bring you through whatever it is and bring you to the place where you'll thank God even for the problems. I'm going to pray for all of us now. Father... We thank you for the problems that you bring us through. We thank you for the challenges that we face day by day. We thank you, Father, for the questions that we ask from time to time. Because sometimes you're in those questions. Sometimes you're in those problems. 
you're in those challenges. And we don't understand the, the beginning from the end. We don't understand why the doors have closed. But we know that you are the, ma- the way maker. You are the way maker. And even though we don't feel it, you're working. Oh, we don't see it. You're still working. And you're a wonder-working God. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters today that in Jesus' name, that you will bring strength, that you will bring hope, that you will bring insight as we declare our love for you. We trust you. We love you. We know that you will make a way. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.